Thank you for listening to the I Love South Orange County podcast. And I'm combining the ESBC podcast network podcast uh, to this as we're adding an element of uh, local politics and local political corruption, because that's what we most can do something about is local. And uh, the podcast has gone well. And we've also been able to connect with a gentleman in Philadelphia and a gentleman in Florida. They're also reporting on their local uh, political corruption because like The Economist, they did a study of 115 countries to find out which country had corruption. And lo and behold, they all did, right? All 115 countries. So uh, there's a lot to report on, right? And the reason uh, we, when I uh, won a national award for journalism and uh, I went to a journal institute in high school and then in college, they said the reason you talk about uh, local politics is in any reporting is that truth is always a lot stranger than fiction, right? Sure. You know about the pandemic, what happened the way it did and its results. And today, uh, we are very lucky and fortunate to have Eugene Fields from the care organization. And I knew them from, I'm on the board of the Orange County Diversity Council. And diversity is evolving. It's something completely different than it was 10 years ago, completely different what it is five years ago, and now with the pandemic, it's even evolving even more. And CARE was in it, I would say, seven, five to seven years ago. And a lot has changed since then. And Eugene Fields ran for assembly uh, seat 68 here in Lake Forest. So Eugene before, and I love to go macro to micro, and there's a lot you can educate us on today. Uh, if you can give us a, 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 a quick rundown of who you are and why did you run um, in state, uh, in Assembly District 68. Sure, thanks for, uh, thanks for the time. Thanks for reaching out to talk to me. Um, my name's Eugene Fields. I currently live in the city of Orange, California with uh, my wife and four-year-old daughter. Um, I'm no stranger to Lake Forest and a lot of the cities in the 68th Assembly District. I was a uh, reporter for the Orange County Register. So let me take this out of my hair so I can hear myself. Okay. I was a reporter for the uh, Orange County Register for the better part of 12 years. I actually uh, won awards uh, for my coverage of the largest mass murder in uh, Orange County's history. It was a shooting in Seal Beach almost a right. decade ago. Um, I've worked in communications, uh, corporate, uh, nonprofit, as well as working in uh, the for-profit sector for almost a decade. Uh, I worked uh, in the uh, 3rd District Supervisor's Office for a short time. Um, one of the things that really made me decide that I wanted to run for State Assembly, um, I was thinking about this, I figured that was 
one of the questions you were going to ask me. Sure. Um, I lived in Irvine and my, uh, my wife and I decided to move to Orange is a little bit more affordable for, for renters. Right. Um, still a lot more affordable for, for renters. Um, we were actually living uh, adjacent to the Great Park and we were paying about $1,700 a month for a uh, 700 square foot one bedroom apartment. So right. uh, we knew we wanted to start a family. So we moved to Orange where we have been staying for the last five years. But when I moved here, um, the Ku Klux Klan was um, passing out flyers uh, throughout our city. And it really bothered me that the city council who I had written about uh, for four years, uh, my coverage of the reporter in Orange, they just kind of blew it off. Um, I actually called the, the number on the flyer and it was uh, to a North Carolina Clavern. Uh, the number worked. I actually just saw it on my Facebook uh, memories. Oh, wow. And the, num the number still works. Um, and they're actually holding a podcast. I think their podcasts are Mondays or Tuesdays. Um, but when I basically uh, decided to run, I, I saw a lot of the things that are going on. And I felt like our current uh, representative, um, Stephen Troy, right? And, and Dr. Stephen Troy. Troy uh, uh, I, I just, he, I just he's funded by he, developers and he's part of basically they operate like a mafia and it's developers and you have board of supervisors, Don Wagner. And then to your point, you have the guy who looks central casting from, he, he, you would cast him as the imperial wizard of the KKK in the South. If you want. A guy by the name of Fred Whitaker who's a very uh, corrupt uh, CEO of a law firm, Cummings and White. And if you go I, to Cummings and White, I uh, don't, uh, website, yeah, I, they never have a minority lawyer. They have like 50 to 75 lawyers and they never have a black guy. They never have a Hispanic. And they have maybe out of 75, you'll see four women on his website. So I'm, I, I don't, I, I do know Fred and I, I yeah. would not, I personally wouldn't call him a, a member of, you know, I wouldn't go as far as call him a member of the clan. I, I'm saying he looks like one, you know. No, well, I mean, that could, yeah. that, that's, I, I'm not going to go that far. I'm not going to, sure. I'm not even going to go that far. I'm not, I'm just not going to say that. I don't, I don't, right. you know, and anyone can be a racist. It doesn't matter what your, what your skin color is, what, what you look like. It's, it's what's inside. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean. So, Was he a member so, of the state council at that time? uh yes he was yes he All was right. and he um, didn't pay attention to the no 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 fire. one did no no one did it, it was it was disappointing um so anyway uh i met with supervisor Choi's office um and uh this was last year year before last i met with his office we were trying to get we we're advocating for the passage of uh then ab391 which uh basically gave guidelines to public safety use of force. Um, before AB 392 was passed last year, the um, guidelines for public safety use of force in California hadn't been amended for uh, since the end of the Civil War. Um, so, but I was kind of struck that something that his, his, um, his office, the member of his office told me that was really kind of at, at the crux of, of the issue that I believe that the people of color, especially in Orange County, deal with on a daily basis, which is uh, if, if you 
um, if, if, if you act right, the police will treat you right. And, um, you know, as someone who, who, who's been stopped and harassed by uh, police officers um, in the 30 years that I've lived in Orange County, I can tell you that that's just not true. Um, there are people all over the country who, you know, they're, they're in their cars, they're, they're jogging, they're working out, they're, they're shopping, they're doing everything that everyone else does, except for the fact they happen to be a person of color and they're being harassed by uh, law enforcement. I'm not saying that that's general. I'm not saying that that's absolutely what happens all the time, but there are instances and there are statistics that show that people of color are, are more likely to be harassed uh, basically because of their skin color. Anyway. Um, I know, and something that I'd like to add, and I, I encourage you if you haven't listened to it, uh, we have Matt Bird in St. Petersburg, Florida. Sure. Part of the podcast network. He did a great podcast breaking down the, the murder of Ahmaud Arbery in Georgia. And when I lived in the South, I, you know, I, I was pulled over every week. Knock on wood, I haven't, 12 years here in Southern California, haven't been pulled over once. Uh, in New York City, I never really had a problem, even though I did see problems in New York City. In Boston, uh, was very interesting because you had a, a very progressive liberal government, sure. but Boston amongst the people uh, was actually a little bit more racist than the South, right? Because you had a real strong Irish, Italian, and they're very racist. And I've been in situations as a Hispanic where you are right, you know, not every race has a monopoly on racism, right? No, where no. you have... Uh, white people, for lack of a better word, or rednecks say, oh, yeah, you're not black, you're Hispanic. And they would say horrible racist things, right? Even one of my own people, Cubans, right? Cubans are the most racist people ever. And I had a, not really a friend, just somebody I kept the peace with uh, who was an EMT. 20 years as an EMT, and he refused to do mouth-to-mouth resuscitation for an African-American male. You know, and I was thinking about it the other day, how many African-American males died because he refused to do mouth-to-mouth resuscitation on them, right? So that's what we're dealing with, Eugene. And well, so I, I, I encourage you, this is going to be a really good, as sure. we get your no, perspective, I, and we get the perspective from Matt all over the country. So that's a lot sure. of value, educational I, I, value for the people. I, I hesitate at making generalizations. Um, right because it's very easy just to, to lump people in. And, right. and I mean, you know, I, I was raised um, to really try to do my best to, to look at people for who they are um, as an individual rather than, you know, as a collective. But um, in California, to be honest, at all the places I lived all over the country, California is the best place. That's why we're blessed to live here, to be able to do that. And we have a mutual friend, Brenda, Brenda Lynn, right? Sure. I, mean, mm-hmm. I believe she's uh, Chinese descent or Chinese? I don't even know. Uh, I, I don't know, yeah. Yeah, yeah, she's Asian, so, you know, we don't care. And uh, she shared the fact that your background is African-American and Japanese. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Yeah. So my, my awesome. mother my mother was, uh, was African-American. My father was actually was Japanese. He and his... Uh, his family um, were actually, uh, when he was four, he was taken among with uh, 10,000 other people to the Manzanar internment camp during World War II. Uh, oh, wow. it was him and his 
his um, his father and his uh, five brothers and sisters. Uh, I had a chance actually last year to go visit Manzanar for the first time and, and see uh, the room where his family was. I mean, it's literally probably smaller than my home office right here. Uh, right. And, and that was one of the most discriminatory, horrible sure. events in American history. Sure. And, and, and it, it's continuing in some way, shape, or form. But anyway. Right. Yes. Absolutely. Um, uh, one of the things we reached out to, when I say we, I mean myself and others, reached out to Assemblyman Choi about is the city I live in, the city of Orange. Uh, they spray. Choi's uh, uh, Vietnamese, I would say. Right? He's, uh, he's Korean. Korean. Okay. Um, we reached out to his office because in Orange, they, they spray a carcinogenic toxin. Um, it's basically Roundup. Uh, it's been uh, peer-reviewed studies have shown that it uh, increases risk of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma by 40%. Interestingly enough, when Mr. Choi was the mayor of Irvine, uh, his city actually uh, banned the spraying of that chemical throughout their city. Uh, they actually don't spray it in Tustin and I want to say a couple other cities in our district and we reached out to him myself and other parents because my daughter she's played in at least 12 of the 22 parks not recently um, right. but she's played in 12 of the 22 parks uh, in Orange where they spray this stuff um, repeatedly we met with uh, members of the city council we met with city staff and we didn't get any kind of um, positive response so we reached out to Assemblyman Choi, and uh, he, he wouldn't even take a meeting uh, with me. Um, and, and it struck me because I... Um, and then we have a visual. We're sharing the screen. Sure, so sure. See it, 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 struck me, it struck me because I'm a constituent, and regardless of whether or not I'm a Democrat or a Republican or NPP or whatever, I live in his, his district and he's being paid $100,000, $110,000 a year right. to, uh, to at least give me quote unquote lip service. Um, there were issues that I really cared about. Obviously uh, in Orange, there's a huge, there, there was a huge homeless uh, epidemic. Um, I lived in Irvine and, I, and, and they did a great job of of uh, decreasing homelessness. I'm being politically correct. Um, right. But uh, so, and, and it's not something that that city has experienced. It's not something that that city wants to deal with. Obviously you live in Lake Forest. Um, I used to work at the Register Bureau off of Aspen down the street from the hat. Right. Um, so I was very familiar with uh, the, the level of, of homelessness uh, that's still going on. Um, I actually worked for uh, an international insurance company in Lake Forest, so uh, for a couple of years. So I, you know, I, I saw that. Right. Um, homelessness is is an issue that unless you are on the ground dealing with it, working working on it, it's one of those NIMBY issues. Um, obviously, right. healthcare. So, so something I want to kind of interject. So when you sure. talk about homelessness, right? Mm -hmm. And I look in choice people who endorse them, right? Sure. You got Lisa Bartlett, mm -hmm. the board of supervisors. You have Don Wagner, Christina Shea, Harry Sanu, Greg Ratz, Don Sedwick, Anthony Coe, Tony Beale, 
I don't know why I have Anthony Cole here twice. But uh, you got Michael Kier. Michael Kier wrote a, a book on German, on German warfare. Crazy book, right? You've seen conspiracy theorists. And he's a regular on Fox News. You have Scott Voights. Uh, they spelled his name wrong here. He's part of the Lake Forest City Council that I'm familiar with him. And women, several women have asked me for referrals for attorneys for him sexually and physically harassing them and for drug use, right, on meth. You have Dwight Robinson, who is on the air quality board, and he imports grain from China. And he's the local guy who facilitates uh, Chinese real estate with the, with the poster I have behind me, Benjamin Yu, who finished a little bit ahead of you. No, he finished behind me. Oh, he finished behind you. Hey, good job. Congratulations, because he spent $300,000 to, uh, how much did you spend on your campaign? Uh, my campaign spent $5,000, and we finished, uh, we finished third out of four contenders. Well, we got, think uh, about this. You beat seven, him. You were, you yeah. were a lot more efficient, $5,000. He spent three hundred grand to finish behind you, right? Well, I was, he I was involved with him. I was, great, I was grateful that we had a lot of grassroots support. Um, I was endorsed by the California um, Progressive Alliance, which um, was started uh, by Gail McG um, the former mayor of uh, Richmond, California. Right. Um, basically, they endorse corporate free candidates, uh, people who, who won't take uh, corporate money. Um, right. I, I'm a big proponent of getting corporate money out of politics. Um, so I saw this and I saw the developing, the developers putting their hands in. This right, race. and that's your fight because all those people that we just mentioned, they're all 100% founded by developers and then developer organizations like BIA, the Building Association of California, sure, sure. South Orange County. Sure. Uh, South Orange County Economic Council. And I want to show this, right? Because in the endorsement, because this is who you're fighting here. You go Lincoln Club, right? Sure, yeah. And, you know, I like attacking the Lincoln Club because they personally attacked me. And really, at, at the end of the day, all I am is an informed citizen who likes doing a lot of research, but I encourage people to do their own research. Yeah. You go to the Lincoln Club, and I don't know if they have it now. Yeah, here you go, right? So you have the guy from Fox News is their, their guy. And I think their keynote was Ivanka. I guess they took Ivanka off the front page. But you have right here Ted Cruz. And you have uh, a keynote guy, a guy they'll pay $10,000 for. It's some idiot on Fox who's a comedian for life. I think he, he actually is a comedian. He's just a right-wing comedian. Sure. So, um, you know, those all those things, I felt like there were a lot of people that I, that I had spoken with and met during a lot of the work that I've done. Sure. Um, before I started working uh, for Carole, afterwards, um, you know, to basically see, you know what, there are people like me who are parents, who, who have a job, who, you know, we're not, we're, we're part of the shrinking middle class and we care about the future. Sure. And we care about, uh, you know, everyday average American things. And I felt like it was, you know, I, I may not win, but um, I'm going to give it everything that I have. 
So, you know, I, June last year, you know, I, I pulled papers and started going out and talking to people and it, it was the reception I got was, was really uh, encouraging. Um, people really liked what they heard. They liked what they saw. And I mean, I'm not just some guy who, who decided to just throw my name in the, in the ring. I mean, I, I've covered um, local uh, politics, budgets, and under, having an understanding of how these things work. Um, I could probably explain budgets better than a lot of uh, elected officials who only attend meetings. Um, no, absolutely, absolutely. Or right. are just bought and paid for, have a specific agenda sure. by the building association, or even like a Fred Whitaker. Not taking the race stuff apart, right? The direct evidence we have is what he, how he ignored your KKK stuff. Uh, the lawyers he hires for his firm over the last 10-year period. If you don't hire, I'm sorry, if you don't hire a minority lawyer in a 10-year period at a major law firm, I believe something needs to be looked at, right? But looking at it deeper, right? Living in Florida, my wife is white, and just looking at the culture, right? So one thing that brings us together is when I went through the list, right, and I saw care, I knew, and I want this to be a teaching moment for everybody. And in a way, I want you to know this. So you know people's reaction, right? And one of the main tenets of the podcast is, uh, even though some people might say, okay, we want to stick with kind of like the raw truth and reality. We don't believe in the Easter Bunny or Santa Claus. We want to get to the, you know, sometimes healthy denial is good, right? Some, we see this with the pandemic. People don't want to really believe the numbers sure. you know they want they want to live in right so regular white people and see care the first thing that comes into their mind is terrorist right so i said okay eugene fields is a terrorist because of his association with care so what i want to do is just start from the beginning because uh, i see it, it it hit me harder with the pandemic right I call them the toilet paper people. Sure. People who panic and they went and they hoarded toilet paper because it gets in their amygdala brain, right? And that's what terrorism did. And in, in the pandemic in 9-11, right, there's a lot of parallels. And I like to go macro to micro, but I think there's a lot of good questions for you. And I think you're very educated and you're going to give great answers. So let's, let, let's go from, macro. From a to macro me. point of view. Yeah, yeah. Let's macro go macro to, macro, to, macro to micro. First yeah. of all, um, like, well, I want to talk about Islam, right? Are, are you Muslim? No. Oh, okay. So, uh, we talk about the Islamic Association care, right? There's three types of Muslims. There's Sunni, Kurds, and Shia, right? So, you have Sunni, Kurds, and Shia. So, when Kier was in the Orange County Diversity Council, they referred to them more as Sunnis, or what type of flavor of Islam is in care? So um, that situation actually happened before I joined care, care LA. I've sure. actually, I actually just celebrated my, my second anniversary as their communications manager. So, um, so, so care changed a lot since they were in the diversity council. I can, I can tell you um, that uh, having being a part of uh, 
a lot of these high level meetings and, and understanding doing my research on the organization. Um, sure. Before I join any organization, I do research obviously um, to figure out who I'm going to be working for. Working yeah, as a reporter, yeah. As a as a 501c3 nonprofit, um, while uh, people obviously people are are entitled to whatever personal feelings and and uh, their freedom of religion, that is not something that's propagated. Got it. Uh, by care, uh, really, they they are uh, a group that is dedicated towards defending uh, civil uh, injustices with civil liberties, um, helping people. Uh, in court cases when they've been discriminated against uh, due to their religion. Right. Uh, helping people who have immigration issues, obviously, with the enactment of the, uh, the Muslim ban, that's been something that's been keeping people really busy. They've been working on legislative change and at the federal, state, people, local levels. To give people a specific, because when they were in the Diversity Council, the conversation was, because the Diversity Council, a lot of HR things happen, right? Sure. So a guy's in the lunchroom, and he gets put on probation, right? Because the boss is afraid that the guy's a terrorist is going to blow up the building. So that would I'll be. I'll, 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 I'll give you. I'll give you. I'll give you some some case history that sure. Carolee has worked on. Uh, that's that's a little bit more uh, there. Um, so uh, a couple that's of years, few years thing, ago, for the audience, right? Like they, the, the, the type of thing. So let's say there, there were, there, we had a client who uh, worked for, um, when I say we, I mean Carolee because I'm not a lawyer. Right. Carolee had a client who worked for uh, a major company in Orange County. And um, they, she was a front foot, front facing worker, meaning that she dealt with the public. And they refused to let her do her duties because she wore a hijab, which is a religious headscarf. Uh, right. She came to us and uh, we uh, initiated a lawsuit and, um, you know, they were able to settle and she was able to wear her job in her duties. Um, we have uh, doctors, lawyers, people who uh, work in the public sector who, um, you know, part of the tenets of Islam are uh, they pray five times a day. Uh, right. During Friday, they go during uh, on Fridays, they go to what is called Juma, which is the, the prayer gathering at their local right. mosques. And uh, there are some employers that that will not let them do that. So they come to they come in Carolee files represents them to say, you know, these people have a uh, constitutional right to practice their religion. Uh, so those right. are a lot in, of the the main, in, When we were at the diversity council, the, one of the main issues they would come up would be that some folks like to pray at 3 p.m. So it's not a, it's not a law. it's not a liking to pray. It's basically there are set times uh, throughout the year, uh, right? Where and, and literally you can go online and look at prayer times and based on the position of, of uh, the moon um, that they're dictated to pray. Uh, usually, um, and I mean I I when I started working at Care, they're one of the first things I did was hire. A, higher i i bought the book islam for dummies so right, right. Uh, i could i could learn more about uh about the uh the religion uh, and the right. culture um but uh most of the time juma prayer is held at you know somewhere between you know noon and two so um you know it, it's it's in the law says that 
as long as it does not harm the business, you have to give that person a break if they want it during that time because they're allowed, you know, everybody's allowed two 50-minute breaks and a lunch. So I remember that being one of the examples they used for initiating litigation would be someone saying, hey, this does not affect the business. So this person's allowed to practice uh, their religion. And, and very interesting, because one of the main contentions that I always brought up with CARE was uh, one guy from CARE answered it one way and the other guy answered it uh, a way that I liked. And it's interesting that you're a non-Muslim that was hired by CARE, right? Because under certain interpretations of the Quran, if you are, and, and that's actually an HR question some people would ask, right? Uh, do you believe that infidels are to be put to death, right? One guy was like, well, yes, but I don't want to answer. And the other guy was like, no. The other part of the, and, and, and that's what I want to teach people that uh, it's almost like Mexican when they say Mexican, right? Mexican's a huge country <laughs> with 12 states. And when you talk about Mexican food, the food in Northern Mexico is a lot different than the food in Southern Mexico. So you can't just make a blanket generalized statement and say Mexican food. Well, I, Islam, I you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. That, that, no, it's interesting that you, that, that you bring this up because um, when I was in junior college, I actually was, was an unpaid intern at a, uh, at a local non-denominational Christian church. Sure. So I did a little bit of, um, before I became a reporter, before anything else, I actually wanted to become a full-time minister and, and start churches abroad. Nice. Um, there are what than, what's that? What denomination? It's just it's not denominational Christian. Sure. Um, so there are more than a hundred references in the Bible about uh, either followers uh, of Yahweh um, putting non-believers to death, and that's that is for for a lot of religions. There there's a lot of language that uh, that goes that way. And again, I think I definitely believe you're right. Is a lot of these things are based on interpretation. I mean, um, I question uh, people who call themselves uh, Christian right. who uh, basically are racist, who uh, you know are are xenophobes, who uh, have ideals that are definitely against the teachings of Christ. And people will call me ignorant because they disagree with me. Um, right. I actually believe that people are entitled to um, their beliefs. You know, I'm definitely, I believe in the First Amendment. But my point and, and, and where I take issue is when those beliefs uh, cross over into uh, other people's uh, public safety and, and uh, well-being. Absolutely. So one question I want to ask is you you covered that mass murder, right? Sure. And that ended up turning into a disaster because, and you've been here, you've been in, in, in the middle of it, right? Uh, you're aware, you remember Mike Corona. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? So he's the sheriff of the whole county, conservative county. And it's funny, right? Truth is always stranger in fiction as religious values, as conservative it is, you have the sheriff of the whole county uh, convicted of multiple felonies. Now, around the country, before I even moved here, they said that the issue with that prosecution was 
that even though you got my Corona and you got Bustamante, the infrastructure is still there, right? And you see this almost in the donor list of Stephen Choi, right? Uh, so that infrastructure was still there. And then the mass murder you reported on it, right, was almost a casualty of that with uh, the approach of the Orange County. The then district attorney's office, yes. And the district attorney's office. Uh, not being on the up and up, you know. And, and you as a citizen there watching this, what has changed, right? If you can provide us, what, what insight can you give us that hasn't been necessarily reported in the news and you live in the community? What has changed, right? And where do we go from here? Another thing I'd like to add was that in 1995, because of corruption and mismanagement, the County of Orange, as rich as it is, Newport Beach, all these, you know, all these um, property taxes and high uh, real estate values went bankrupt. And they just finished in June paying the interest payments on the last bank. Now they're going to go bankrupt again. I know the city of Lake Forest, they said in four years, four or five years, we were going to be in the red, which is ridiculous. But now with the pandemic, that's going to accelerate that. So let me know, what, what insight can you tell us while the years were reporting in the corruption and even something that you were intimately involved in, how that blew up, how that infrastructure works? What do we do now and what can we do in the future? So I'm, I'm, I'm wasn't involved with the, the following the process in terms of the, the court case. Uh, we actually had uh, reporters who were, who were uh, in charge of that. Um, my initial reporting was based basically on the actual, the day of the event and, you know, sur the surrounding things. But, um, you know. And that's interesting to me because I have friends that are in law enforcement sure. and I've seen events happen. <laughs> and I've always wondered, man, this is, you know, this is so corrupt, you know, or wow, I can't believe the, you would, you would hope that processes on the scene would be more evolved than what they are. There, you know, basically, I, and, I, and I tip my hat to law enforcement. Um, I have yeah. friends who work in law enforcement. I have, I have family who, who have been part of law enforcement. Um, you know, in that situation, uh, the way that it was handled with, with uh, just, uh, making sure that everyone was safe around sure. the, the salon. They did a great job. Um, another case that I, that I covered uh, was the uh, Nick Aidenhart uh, accident with the, the drunken driver who killed, and Nick Aidenhart was a pitcher for the Angels and he was killed by a drunken driver. He and um, three other people in a car with him. Um, you know, for the most part, law enforcement does its job. Uh, you know, the, the, the breakdown, if you will, and the, the case with uh, the Seal Beach shooting, Scott DeCry, was the fact that uh, just, just how it was prosecuted. We have a new district attorney. Uh, I actually worked for, for Todd Spitzer when he was uh, a third district supervisor, so I got a chance to know him. I actually covered him when he was in the state legislature, uh, when I was a reporter and he was up in Sacramento. Um, you know, I, I, he's committed to, uh, you know, shining light into the misdoings of the past, as well as uh, doing it better. Uh, I think the
best thing that we can do as, as residents of Orange County and constituents is to hold him accountable, him and his office accountable to, to doing, putting those words into practice. And if he doesn't, then, you know, he comes up for election in four years or three years. But, but does it concern you, the history? The, the history is, the history of everything is concerning. Um, if, if because you, you see, got the caucus, right? And you have that LA Times article. Sure. Uh, you know, where Rukovka said he basically gave a blank check to local politicians. He said he was not going to prosecute any crimes that happened with local politicians. And he was on an FBI task force and the FBI pulled it because they said he was tipping off people like the mayor of Santa Ana who developers bought a million dollar house for right I, I don't that i don't know anything about but you know i, I can't but it's the culture that, you're right in the middle of right does that give you any concern that this much corruption is happening amongst us and then the long-term negative effect on us right as regular citizens of that corruption i th i think that um unfortunately for the most part most people are unaware of the levels of, of corruption that that can uh, and, and it's hard for them to comprehend too, right? People don't under, uh, people don't really understand. I think that um, what happens is is we just kind of live in a in a in a world where most people they they go to work, they come home, they have a family, um, you know, their kids go play ball or go do dance recitals or whatever. Um, they don't have time to, to worry about what's going on at, at City Hall. They don't have time to worry right. about what's going on at the Hall of Administration or, or in Sacramento or, or in Washington, D.C. Um, I wish that we would uh, become more aware. I actually teach uh, communications, marketing, and leadership classes at uh, Westcliff University in Irvine. Oh, nice. And one of the things that I, I tell my students is, we live in an age where information is more readily accessible than any other time in American and world history. But yet, more people are content to uh, pay attention to memes. They're more, uh, you know, no offense to you, they're more, they're more, uh, you know, they're more, atten they're more likely to pay attention to something that someone like yourself would blog about. Because obviously, if, you, if you're putting out a podcast, you must know. And there are so many people who, who have a podcast right, right, or have right. some sort of platform where they just, for lack of a better word, uh, they're just airing their opinions without with, with either little or, or no research or facts. So it's very right. important that, uh, you know, the platforms that we have, we use them to, to educate, empower, and uplift rather than to, to tear down or, or to, to spread fear. Right, right. And one of the tenets of the podcast, right, even though the one I do on sports and sports and finance is do your own research. Sure. We're just, nobody has a monopoly on the truth. And what we want to do is make it a starting point. So people do their own research, look at uh, a candidate's 460 forms, look at where the funding's coming from, sure. right? Go to their website, look, you know, Look, oh, this person has, he's the CEO of a law firm and he has a hundred lawyers and none of them are minorities, right? That doesn't really mean anything, but it does mean you should research it a little bit more. So I think it's important because um, 
I, I've seen a couple of your, your podcasts and, and, and um, a lot of people ask me this question, um, especially when I was a candidate. Right. Um, why is it important? Uh, it's a two question things. Why, why do politicians need so much money? Number one. And number two, why is it important where that money comes from? Um, the first question is, is people kind of are shocked, but uh, take the 60th Assembly District. There are, are 400,000 um, people who live in the 60th Assembly District. I want to say there are about 250,000 of them who are registered voters. Um, to be able to put a piece of mail in their hands, you're, you're talking about, and we're talking about high propensity, which are right. people who vote in each of the last three elections. Uh, you have to you have to pay postage. You have to pay for uh, uh, you know the actual creation of the and the printing of the of the, the envelopes. Um, so there's money there. If you want to put put signs in people's yards, if you want to do any kind of advertising, all of that stuff costs money. So people raise money just to have outreach. Um, one of the people who uh, who advanced to the primary uh, within three weeks of the election, there were six pieces of mail that uh, went to uh, people's homes. That's a lot. It's a lot of money spent. Um, so that's why it's important. That's why people need to are raising so much money. But the secondary thing is, is where that money comes from. Um, Assemblyman Choi, I noticed uh, he had received, I want to say $12,500 from uh, Southern California Edison. Right. It's kind of an interesting thing when you start looking at his votes and you realize that he voted no on ways to find clean energy. Right. Um, he received money from RJ Reynolds, the, the cigarette company. Right. Um, so when people receive large amounts of money from whatever interest they are, um, it basically, I'm not saying they're buying a vote because sometimes someone- I would go, say that. I would oh, say I mean, that. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say people are-, are necessarily it, 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 To be honest, to be honest. But, uh, but it's the appearance. People, people talk, right? Sure. Well, I've yeah. had plenty of politicians tell me that they voted X, Y, Z because these are the people that gave me the money. And then uh, my first four, four way into- local politics because to me a lot of po po local politics is entertaining right so it was the Shakespearean play going on but it started 30 years with Charlie Crisp and this is where Charlie Crisp was the attorney general for the state of Florida he eventually became the governor of the state of Florida and was on actually the short list to become vice president he lost out to Sarah Palin of all people hmm. and he switched parties because they got on him in Florida because he was personally a good friend of President Obama. So he switched parties and he's currently a congressman, uh, a Democratic congressman for the state of Florida. And uh, he's been in the news a couple of times. First time was when he uh, interviewed William Barr. Mm -hmm. He questioned William Barr, you know, about his loyalty. And uh, recently he's, uh, point person for Nancy Pelosi on getting a, a second stimulus package to workers versus big corporations. And Charlie Chris told me there's three types of local politicians. There's corrupt politicians, there's dumb local politicians, and there's dumb and corrupt local politicians. 
questions. <laughs> so, no, I mean, you I mean know, the environment they're, here, they're, in, in, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I would, I would disagree, and I would say, you know, there, there are local politicians who are trying to do well. Um, I look right. at a lot of people who, who have got a lot. Who are they? I know, I know you're one of them, and, you know, and, and I trust that, that you're doing the best you can. I know that Dr. Gardner, you know, we've had some really good podcasts on COVID-19 in Orange County, and also on, uh, we had a really good podcast. I don't know if you got to see it, but it was really good sure. on Chinese real estate interest in Orange County and how they've inflated real estate prices. I, you know, th this is, this is the thing. Um, and one of my, one of my friends said this, uh, and it was regarding this presidential election. Um, but sure. I, I, I put it everywhere. We have become a, a hyper, um, sensationalized, uh, uh, electorate when it comes to electing people, especially our president. Uh, right. I, I personally believe that it started right around the turn of the century. Uh, when George W. Bush was elected, uh, there was an interesting poll that he won. Which candidate would you rather have a beer with? Uh, right. George W. Bush or Al Gore? And Bush won. Right. Um, so instead of electing people based on what they stand for or what they want to do, we, we now, based, we now uh, elect people based on Q rating. Um, right. The problem, you know, I was in Florida at the time. Sure. A lot of people feel that he didn't win that election, right? I had a restaurant, right? And I remember Cubans in Miami coming to me and saying, hey, uh, I'm going to give you X amount of dollars to drive this truck from Hialeah to, uh, to Liberty City. And, there, and it was a truck full of Gore books. So I know for a fact that those were Gore boats. That might have even flipped the, the, the election in 2000, right? So that's, that's one of the, you know, when the national consciousness of, you know, the corruption so, kind of yeah. came in. But I, but I see your point where so, we're not doing enough research before we vote. There's not enough research done. And then what happens is, is basically we hold, we hold people to a, a quote-unquote purity standard where um, it's all or nothing. And my friend told me that we're not electing a president uh, to have them come over to our house to have dinner. Right. We're electing X person X, Y, or Z because they have policies that will benefit us, the electorate. Um, okay. And that, that resonated with me. Um, you know, I, I can say one of the things that, that I've done since I actually, since the election was over and during this pandemic, sure. um, how has the pandemic affected you, you know? Uh, like most Americans who are fortunate enough to still have a job, I'm working from home. Uh, you know, I work probably 10, 11, 12 hours a day. Um, gotcha. You know, we're on day 61. Uh, my four-year-old daughter is, you know, it's tough because she loves uh, going to dance class. She loves going out with her friends. She was... Uh, in preschool and uh you know those things are canceled so she's doing a lot of zoom classes she's my wife is very creative so they're doing uh, a lot of we're doing a lot of activities uh here at home um you know i i was going to a boot camp i stopped doing that i actually uh you know basically picked up my right. my love of running again so i you know i run at night when there's no one around um you know kind of work out at home uh 
you know, I, I tend to look at life uh, through a glass is half full kind of thing. I know right. seven people who, who personally came down uh, with uh, COVID-19. Uh, oh, wow. I, I have family and friends who have relate to me stories of people who died from this. Um, one of my relatives actually lost her job because of uh, the pandemic not being able to do business. So um, I look at it like uh, it could be a lot worse. Um, people are dying. People are losing their jobs. Uh, people are sick. Uh, so the inconveniences of having to stay at home um, and not being able to, you know, go out and get a haircut. Uh, you know, my haircut, my wife uh, cleaned up a horrible job that I did. Uh, I'm lucky, so, man. I, I just get to uh, do what I've always done. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but but no, seriously. Um, you know, it, it, it's affected me because it's 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 allowed me to to focus on things that I like. Uh, one of the things I wanted to do is do a random act of kindness. Um, sure. one of the things that I'm, I'm proud of during this time and when I'm getting, and I'm trying to segue back into the point you asked me was, sure. um, I work with a, a nonprofit, it's called, uh, Asian Americans in Action. And we actually put together a letter that we sent to the board of supervisors here in Orange County, asking right. them to pass a resolution decrying xenophobia against Asian Americans, right. uh, based on this pandemic. Mm -hmm. Uh, within two days, the letter was signed by more than 260 organizations, elected officials, including two members of Congress, as well as uh, Assemblyman Stephen Choi, which I was oh, really grateful. Congratulations, that's a good one, yeah. Um, the Democratic Party of Orange County uh, adopted a, a unanimous resolution based on that letter. The city of Irvine unanimously passed a resolution based on that letter. Uh, the city of Garden Grove passed a, uh, passed a resolution. And then uh, last week, uh, the Board of Supervisors unanimously passed a, a resolution decrying uh, xenophobia against Asian Americans. So there are issues, my point is there are issues that I might agree or disagree with someone on sure. um, today, but tomorrow they may do something that, hey, I applaud you. Um, so when I say quote unquote, there are good politicians, there are people who care about what the job they're doing. They care about representing the people. Um, so while I was unsuccessful in, in uh, reaching the primary for the state assembly race, I actually was elected to uh, the, the central committee from the 60th uh, assembly district. Uh, which and is we've had on the podcast too, and on the China one, uh, Denise Foster, who I'm sure you'll meet, uh, she was elected to the Democratic Central Committee uh, District 70. Okay. All right. So, um, you know, and part of us, obviously part of the central committee is, is to uh, identify and support members of our party to, as they run for office and, and, you know, support the value. So, um, you know, I, I have so friends. We want, who, yeah, we want Melissa Fox to beat Stephen Choice. Yes. Um, you know, I, I definitely think that uh, she would do a better job in Sacramento than, than Assemblyman Choi. Absolutely. And, and, and we'll uh, end with this. And thank you for your time. And thank you for being so gracious for your time and clearing a lot up as we educate the public on care, right? Uh, and we educate the public on yourself moving forward. You're a young man. So you can run again and you can use part of this uh, video and podcast to educate people on who you are and maybe why they should vote for you. 
but we'll close with something that you were talking about that's interesting. What have you, because everybody's used this as a time for uh, reflection, right? Sure. And uh, when you go in literature, I'm a British lit major to begin with. When you go in literature, you know, you hear uh, life unexamined, right? It's not a life worth living. So you were getting into what, you know, I'm reflecting on things in this pandemic. What have you reflected on and what, what have you learned moving forward? You know, I think, I don't know. I mean, I've been pretty, pretty self-reflective most of my life. Right. Um, I went back to school when I was 36 years old. I got my, finished my associates, got my bachelor's and completed my master's in five years. Um, Congratulations. It's really, it really funny because uh, I was a commencement speaker uh, uh, for the University of Phoenix and uh, at the national ceremony. They, you know, flew me out to uh, Arizona, talked in front of uh, 10,000 people, got to film a commercial, interviewed yeah. Martha Stewart, and my mom was there, and we're driving home, and she literally hit me in the back of the head and goes, what are you going to do with your life? And I'm like, literally, I just <laughs> had the best day of my life. Right, right. But my motto since 20, 2012 has been to, to change the world one person at a time. Right. Um, you know, I don't have that reach to be able to do something extremely profound to impact millions of people at once. But if I can do something, well, yeah, I mean, this podcast, right? This podcast. Sure. Sure. Hopefully if you, if you, you get, 14, if you get the thousand yeah. downloads a month but, and then we get a uh, hundred thousand impressions on Twitter and then 12, sure. 20,000 yeah. on Facebook. So we might get to a million. In, like, but if, years, but, but if I can, but if I can do something that, that helps one person and they pay it forward, um, sure. you know, just like this pandemic has a, has a has an R naught, which is the, the rate of infection. Um, if we can turn random acts of kindness into an R naught, where it, it it goes from one to two to four to and multiplies exponentially, I, I'll feel like that I've done something. Um, you know, I'm 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 proud to to have met so many people uh, who who want to make the world a better place. I'm, I'm proud to know so many people who actually care about uh, the things that concern me as, as a husband, as a parent, uh, as a person who lives in America, as a person who's a resident of the world. Right. Um, and, and that's what I've been reflecting on is really uh, what can I do to do my part? Awesome. No. And uh, we feel like we're doing our part here with a podcast and educating and the education. And I'm actually proud the pandemic has been a blessing as far as the last two, three podcasts from an educational standpoint, sure. pointing the right direction for people to do their own research. It's really been phenomenal. And I'm proud that we've been lucky enough and fortunate enough and good enough, man, to get really good talent on here. And that's part of it, too. I've noticed there's a lot of talent in Orange County that just isn't getting the reach that they need to, that they need to get. And, and we're working on that. And I look forward to I'm glad we had this conversation. I actually look forward to putting a panel together uh, for the Orange County Diversity Council. I think it will be great. It will be a great podcast and something we can do video on as well. All right. Any, any last words? Anything else you want to tell the people? Or sure. No, I no. I appreciate I appreciate uh, you talking to me. You know, um, you know, appreciate the opportunity. You didn't have to do this today. Um, you know, I, I, again, I want to encourage you to to and everyone out there to to use your voice in a positive way to 
to educate, empower, and uplift people. Um, there's a lot, way too much negativity, especially online and in social media these days. So anytime we have an opportunity to, um, you know, uplift people and, and educate them and empower them, it, it's something for the good. So thanks again Absolutely. for having me on. Absolutely. And one thing too, right? I, I agree with my wife about 50% of the time. So we have to find a way where, where people can disagree with each other and give each other different views. The way I learned, right, is through people who think 100% different than the way I do, or might have a different opinion. So it's always a good way to have different opinions and be able to work through them without getting personal or, or like what you're saying, right? Have some sort of discord or bad feelings or people's insecurity getting in the way. Well, that's, you know, running for office does that to you because, right. you know, you're going to run into people who don't agree with you. You're going to run into people who, who uh, don't think you should be running, who think you have no business doing it. And, you know, I heard some pretty harsh things uh, in, in during the campaign. Um, and, you know, you, you can't take it personally. You just have to go, hey, you know, this person disagrees with me. They disagree with my, my platform, whatever. Um, I'm proud to say that a lot of the people that I that disagree with me as a candidate uh, agree with me as a person, and I'm happy to have been able to work with them on some of the, the things that, that I've been able to do over the past uh, month or so. So hopefully that continues when I, when I uh, get sworn in as a member of the Central Committee. Oh, I'm sure it will. It's a great opportunity, and uh, I'm glad to be able to help with the podcast, the live stream, the sure. video. And having it be a long self life. And I know you agree, and I always close with Winston Churchill, who got us through World War II, that we make a living for what we do. We provide value in the marketplace, but we make a life from what we give. So thank you for listening to the I Love South Orange County podcast and to the ESBC Podcasting Network. I'm very happy with the Anchor app. It's very, very, very user-friendly. You just type in iTunes or on your app search, record a podcast, and it comes out very, very good. Uh, it's very easy to share. You could take it <clears throat> to promote what your brand is and what you really want to talk about. And it's something that I would like everybody to do so we can be able to share information better. All right, have a good one. Let me know if you have any questions.